What's up, sports ballers? Welcome to episode three of Sports Ball, your favorite sports podcast. And I just want to say right off the bat, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate uh, your time, your attention, and your support. And uh, in this episode, Andrew and I discuss all of the crazy upsets in the tournament. Like, holy crap, there were so many. And a number one seed finally losing you a 16 seed? Yes, please. Uh, we dive into all that. Discuss the bracket as it lies. Should hey, should we reseed the tournament after the first weekend? Would that make it uh, better? Also, we discuss video-assisted referees being used in the World Cup this year for the very first time. I, as a diehard soccer fan, think it's a great choice, but you'll have to listen to uh, our discussion to see um, what Andrew thinks. And also, if you want to share your thoughts with us about uh, the tournament, the World Cup, or any other sports topic at all, feel free to call into the show on Anchor. We would love to get your voice on the show and your opinion so we can discuss it and start some community feedback. Also, you can get us uh, on Twitter. Andrew's at Robinson. Andrew, I'm at Cam Brennan. You can email us, hello at supermegacorp.net. And enjoy the episode. second i'm picking up my shredded pieces of bracket before we can start (laughs) what's up andrew not much how are you uh doing good so uh we've got a couple upsets to talk about don't we uh just a few i think just like one or two maybe yeah i mean it was a pretty boring uh you know second uh round of the tournament wasn't it yeah i haven't seen this much chalk since i was in college So I guess let's just start with the biggest one, obviously, because it finally happened. A one it did finally lost. Can you believe it? I can't. And we talked about it last week that um, we thought maybe that um, you know Kansas would lose to Penn. I don't think any of us saw uh, UMBC taking down Virginia. No, but I say this: if you're going to be the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed. Why not get your butt kicked and just get blown out too? I mean, just go, just go all in on it. Right. I mean, they definitely maybe let off the gas a little bit in those final three or four minutes. The Cavaliers, that is. Yeah. No. UMBC was like wide open three. Sure. Alley oop. Sure. Emphatic dunk. Let's do it. Like they were not letting up at all, and Virginia just looked. They looked like they didn't know what sport they were playing at the end of the game. They were so bewildered and so confused and shocked. Like, you you could have thought they were all having a bad dream, you know? Yeah. I've probably seen, like, an underdog throw down on a team like that, probably since that Florida Gulf Coast team a few years ago that would just, like, dunk an alley-oop on everybody into oblivion. Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd be up by 20 by the end. Um, yeah, I mean, incredible history to watch. I think it's one of those sports moments that um, you kind of always remember where you were and, uh, you know, it, it goes up there as an, as an all-timer um, without doubt. And it, it capped just a, a, a crazy, crazy first weekend uh, to what always is a, a, a fun tournament. Yeah, uh, super happy that I got to see it. Super happy that it's finally happened. Uh, obviously, like, you feel bad for Virginia, but at the same time, you know, you got beat. And that, that can happen. Um, 
but you know, not to be totally uh, outdone, um, Buffalo beat Arizona by twenty-one, which I don't know about you. I didn't see that happening. No, no, not not one bit. Um, the best thing I saw, kind of related to that, was that the um, the teams that were connected to the FBI and maybe some sketchy things were were among the first to go, and I believe someone called that the. The ball don't lie exits. Uh, <laughs> of, uh, Arizona taking a, a, a quick go. Uh, Michigan State out in the second round. Then you add in teams like Oklahoma State, uh, Louisville. They didn't even make the tournament. Auburn got bounced in the second round. Um, so uh, yeah, I kind of agree that uh, in some regards the uh, the ball didn't lie on a few teams. Funny how that works out. It is. Uh, so. The South and the West brackets are the most shredded of the four. Um, oh. it's, I mean, so we had Loyola Chicago was 11 seed, beat Miami in the first round, and then they beat third seeded Tennessee on a shot that only went in because of divine intervention, let's be honest. Yep, um, we were watching it together. That, that He got the front of the rim, somehow bounced above the square, and then and, falls in. Yeah. So, they're through. Nevada beat number two seed Cincinnati in the second round. So, in the south bracket, you have nine versus five and eleven versus seven. Yeah. Crazy when you consider that what Arizona or, uh, Virginia was number one overall seed. You had Cincinnati, which in one of my brackets I had them going all the way to the national championship game mm-hmm. based on the defense. Tennessee's been playing well. Arizona was, you know, it's just crazy all in one bracket. And then you look over at the the West bracket, uh, the number one seeds uh, Xavier lost in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas A and M. Beat not only Providence but also beat the two seed uh, North Carolina. So you've got three versus seven and nine versus four over there, and it's just bonkers. It is, and the hard part is like the the first weekend of the tournament is so great, and, and now we get to the second weekend, and it's like, oh man, are we really excited about a Nevada Loyola Sweet Sixteen matchup. I mean. Is that really like appointment television? Kansas State, well, Kentucky. Um, it's tough because that Midwest is so good. Like you've got three Hall of Fame coaches headed to Omaha this weekend, and then down in Atlanta, you've got Loyola, Nevada, Kentucky, and K State. Um, and so it's tough because you know Duke and and Kansas and Syracuse and Clemson are going to be in a dogfight this weekend. And then there's a couple other regions that are a little lighter, maybe, so to speak. So I wish – Well, I would I would push back on that a little bit and say that, like, yeah, historically speaking, you're correct. The, the coach is going to the Hall of Fame, the, the historically strong programs uh, for sure. But you better believe I'm going to tune in and watch Loyola Chicago versus Nevada because those are two teams that are taking down some beasts. That's going to be a hard-fought competitive game. Those kids want to win. You know, right. so like from a marketing standpoint, yeah, maybe it's not the sexy matchup like, you know, Duke versus Syracuse or, um, you know, uh, Villanova versus West Virginia, per se, or heck, even the two, three Texas Tech versus Purdue. 
but it's teams that have knocked off teams they had no business knocking off, and I want to see who's going to make the Elite Eight. Because, right. I mean, those those kids are playing like their life is on the line. So yeah, it's going to be crazy. good basketball. It's crazy to think that Loyola or, or um, Loyola or Nevada will be in the Elite Eight and one game away from the Final Four. I mean, it's just so – it's just amazing to me how quickly – the field gets narrowed down and then how quickly you have a shot. You know, these kids are 80 minutes away from making a final four and they probably had to, you know, we're in a dogfight just to get out of their conference tournament two weeks ago. Uh, But that's what makes it great. And that's why we watch. And like you said, we, we will watch this weekend. There's no question about it um, because it's on and and what's at stake. Um, But at the same time, it'd be nice to see a little bit more uh, balance uh, in the regions after one weekend than, than what we've got. Yeah, there's there's two very, very messed up brackets or uh, regions and then two uh, Syracuse being the uh, the odd one out, two very fairly predictable uh, regions. So now you mentioned something in our show document that I had never even considered, but I think is a very interesting topic. Uh, reseeding after the weekend. Yeah, it'd be a logistical nightmare because I mean these teams they they know on Selection Sunday if they advance, you know that they're headed to Atlanta or Boston, L.A. or Omaha. Um, so their fans are booking those trips, and so on four days' notice to you know to resend them someplace would be a, a logistical nightmare, um, understandably. But at the same time, if you kind of reset the tournament into the second weekend, uh, how different would it look? I, I didn't do the exercise on paper, but I mean, you've got uh, two one seeds left, so they'd obviously be one seeds in their respective uh, regions as they are. You know, the Midwest, I guess, would really shake out as it is, um, except you've had, you'd have Syracuse playing Kansas and then Clemson and and. Um, Clemson and um, Duke. Duke, yeah. Um, but then, I don't even know if you could stick within a region. Like, could you move Kentucky somewhere? Could you move K State somewhere? Um, the the logistics of it don't make a lot of sense. I understand that, but at the same time, like, what would we be in for if we kind of redrew the the bracket? <laughs> late last night and then reset it uh, and same thing you do at the final four. Like if, if Loyola gets in and they end up, I, I don't know who they match up with because I don't have the bracket in front of me, but if you ended up say with a, a Villanova, Kansas semifinal, when that really should be the final, it's like, but at the same time, you've got a, it doesn't, <laughs> you've got Loyola and Florida state and the other one. <laughs> right. But, but I've also always said about championships and, and brackets is like, it really shouldn't matter the order in which you beat teams. I mean, yes, it, it means more the further you go along and the closer you get to a championship, but, I mean, does it really matter whether Loyola would beat Kansas in the, the national championship versus the first round? I mean, they all count the same. So there's there's a counter-argument to it all, and I understand that. Uh, but it is a kind of a fun exercise, particularly when it, it's been so chaotic. Um, if you look at the seed list – um, you know, just uh, the teams one to sixty-eight. I think they range from like two to like forty-five. Um, so you've got teams that probably weren't even getting votes in the top twenty-five two weeks ago. Now in the Sweet Sixteen, um, and 
like we like we said, it's the chaos of it all. It's why we watch. Uh, but this is also the only kind of major American sport that allows their playoff system to be this way. Where you know this is another year where you've largely proved that the the regular season is inconsequential. Um, sure, you know there's top teams and there's teams that that win and there's conference championships and all that. But you know what's a you know, what's a Michigan State going to remember about this year? Yeah, they got a Big Ten regular season title out of it. But after that, it's it's just another exit. Um, so it's it's a tough call. Um, I wish that – this is kind of off topic, but I wish there were a way to for college basketball to strengthen its regular season so much or a little bit more, especially after you see college football and how much its regular season matters versus its postseason. Um, you know, if we could kind of balance those – two sports out where we give football maybe a postseason a little bit better playoff and, and basketball gives a little more credence to the to the regular season because I think it would draw more interest rather than everyone uh, tuning in right now when when the regular season has proven not to matter as much. I hear what you're saying. Um, I think part of it is just because of how frequently you can play a basketball game versus mm-hmm. a football game. Um that that obviously lends itself to it. I I mean honestly, I think anything more than a fourteen playoff in football is just unless you're going to start it right after the regular season, right, and then have the bowl games later on. But then you're asking you know college kids to play potentially seventeen games, right. which is you know a full NFL season plus a playoff game. Absolutely. Um, so you, I mean you have much like our your reseeding the tournament has logistical issues. I think that extending the football season like that has has uh, some physical issues. But, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Um, I still – I don't know. I think to the – to most, like the general public, I think that the tournament is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like right now, yeah, Michigan State's going to be super, super, super disappointed that they lost in the second round. But I think as time goes on, especially the seniors will be like, you know what, we lost in the tournament, but hey, we won the Big Ten. Right. You know, and so I think I think it's just the immediacy of the upset that can cause, you know, the the uh, perspective to be skewed. But I think in the long run, um, the regular season does matter and the conference tournaments do matter. And speaking as a Michigan fan, I want the re- tournaments to matter because we've won the last two. Um, so... I don't know, but yeah, if there's a way to make the regular season um, feel like it means more to the casual fan, I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what that answer is. Um, they're never going to go to less games because that's less money, right? So we're kind of stuck in a well, maybe we, you know, schedule less cupcakes, but you know, who knows. Yep. I'm I'm open I'm open to suggestions from you and from listeners on this because I think it's a really interesting topic. I do too. And I think it's been something that the the college basketball has struggled with. Um I think more and more, particularly now that the I think the NBA's gotten stronger, its product has gotten better. Um Yeah, I, I, there's just not a, a, a clear cut solution. Um because, like you said, I think there's still excitement around the regular season. There's still great games in the Big Ten schedule. There's still great games on the ACC schedule that we want to watch and we enjoy watching. Uh, but then when it 
when it proves to to not matter as much these three weeks, it, it's kind of like what what were we doing for the last four months? Um, so, yeah. well, okay, well, time out real quick. May, let me ask you to clarify something. Um, why do you think the regular season doesn't matter now? Because they lost early, or like because yeah, you you, I mean, let's say that Villanova and, and Kansas lose um and we still have duke in there as a two seed but i mean i think it kind of like the thought really started prevailing when that yukon team won like five in a row in the big east tournament and then won the national title game and and seed wise was like the 36th best team in the the country Mm -hmm. like the 36th best team in college football is is playing in the sun bowl in el paso (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, if you look at, you know, I realize there's there's, there's 300 Division One teams, so you're talking about a team that's still in the top 10 percent of its league, um, or, or you know of its sport. Um, but I I think that yeah, I think your point on less cupcakes is a good one. Um, and I think you know the, the Big Ten, I believe, next year goes to a 20 game season. Um up from 18 games this year. So that, that's going to make a difference because mm-hmm. that's two less, two less, you know, by games that they can, they can have where they bring in a, a lesser opponent. Um, but I, I do think that more true home and home non-conference games between the power conferences outside of the, the one big 10 ACC game we get. And, you know, then they go to the Thanksgiving or Christmas tournament, they play three games and they're usually decent opponents, but it's on neutral floor. Um, I, I think somehow you've got to find a way to 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 get draw better attention in November and December, and um, you know it is it's just the the way the tournament's set up and that anything can happen on any given day. But man, what a tough way for Virginia to to go down um, after going nineteen and or eighteen and one, seventeen and one, whatever they were, one loss in the ACC. Um, and then on on one bad day, their hopes of a title are dashed. Um, so it, the same thing could happen in the NFL. You know, you could go fifteen and one, and in the division weekend you lose, and and that's it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know the solution. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my thought on this, and then maybe we can move on to uh, soccer because that's exciting. Um, is like. I guess I just come down on the the side of the regular season does matter. And just because you lost to a lower seeded team doesn't negate the importance of the regular season or what you accomplished. Right. It. it just means that on that given day, you either played really poorly or the other team played really, really well. Or in the case of Virginia, both. Right. You know, and but that's that is what gets butts in seats and eyeballs on TV screens during this time is because that can happen. And now yep. that the one seat has finally fallen, like it's you know it's a buffet of upsets, you know. Right. And um, I think it's really really good when I mean a team like University of Maryland, Baltimore County, or Chicago Loyola, or you know. Any of the other, you know, uh, Florida Gulf Coast you mentioned earlier from their running a few years back or uh, 
was it Northern Iowa and Farouk Manesh like Mm -hmm. eight years ago? Like that is good for the sport because it keeps the the power programs humble at certain points and it gives the, you know, the kids that aren't good enough, they're never going to play in the NBA, but they can make a D1 program. It gives them hope that they can be on one of those teams. And I think that's one of the greatest things that separates college basketball from everywhere else is the parity that happens in the tournament. Yep, absolutely. And one thought that just popped into my head, a statistic of the Power Five conferences, the only regular season conference champion still alive in the tournament is Kansas. Everyone else is out. So, yeah, it uh, sounds about right. It's it's all about finding your stride. And and, and some coaches, uh, John Beeline, Jim Beheim, um, particularly good at – you know, from from about the the midpoint in February through the end of the season, are typically very good at at helping their teams find their find their stride. So, onward yeah. and upward to the second weekend we go. Indeed, and I will. One last thought, and then we can move on. Is if Michigan does not get its collective head out of its butt and hit a basket, I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah, funny how they couldn't miss against Nebraska. Well, yeah, well, you know, you beat us by twenty, we beat you by nineteen. It's all, you know, fair play. But in the next sport we're going to discuss aggregate score, we'd still be winning. Exactly, you would. You want aggregate score? You win the you win the the season uh, series, but unfortunately, that last loss is what got you into the NIT. So true. But again, if Michigan plays like they did against Houston, against Texas A and M, we're done. But. It's Michigan's – It's this isn't a podcast about Michigan, but I would just say it's their region to lose at this point. I agree. All right, so let's move on to something uh, interesting. I'm surprised you brought this up. I'm very excited about it. So the World Cup is this year, actually, just a few, uh, what, two and a half months away, really. Yep, mid-June. Um, what's the start? Usually mid-June? Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know the exact date, but – yeah, it's usually uh, June, July. And uh, this year, for the very first time, they'll be using the video assistant referees in the World Cup, which is a huge deal because it's still relatively new to uh, Europe, especially. MLS is using it this year. Um, and I was actually watching a game today uh, from this past weekend where the referee didn't use it twice. He wrongfully gave a penalty kick and he wrongfully allowed a goal where the player was clearly like two yards off sides. Mm. And in both situations, had he the VAR, his mistake would have been corrected. So it's, I'm a big fan of it because it removes that bull crap from the game. Yes. Um, and so in the article you shared, there is a uh, very interesting quote. It says, without VAR, a referee can make one important mistake every three matches. So this is based on statistics of years and years and years of, you know, the referees and the calls they make where they were, where they're wrong. One out of three matches, a referee can make an important mistake. That's, like I said, awarding a penalty that shouldn't be awarded, allowing a goal that shouldn't be allowed, or disallowing a goal that should be allowed. So, like, big game-impacting mistakes. With VAR, the figures we have seen from the trials 
show that a big mistake is made once every 19 matches. Wow. I mean, that the statistical significance of one out of three to one out of 19 is crazy. It really is. Now, a lot of purists don't like it, and I get it. It's it's the whole idea of, you know, your wife thinking we should have robots instead of umpires in baseball calling balls and strikes. Right. But, but soccer is much harder than calling balls and strikes. Off, the fact that humans can still get offsides calls right more times than not boggles my brain, especially when the ball is coming from, like, midfield. Right. Um, but I know for a fact in MLS, the only time you can use VAR is on a uh, – Straight red card decision, a mistaken identity. You call a, a yellow card or a foul on a wrong wrong player uh, on a goal scoring opportunity, um, and then one other that I can't remember. I do not know if those are the same four situations that will take place in the World Cup, but I am very happy that this is going to be used in the World Cup because it could potentially allow a team that would have lost because the referee made a mistake to instead actually win the game they should have rightfully won. And on the world stage like that, that is what you want. At least I think so. I I, I agree. So I I have two questions around this. I was watching a sporting game a few weeks ago, and the uh, referee reviewed two calls, and he he went over uh, to the monitor and essentially – did it at a speed at which you or I would um, run into the kitchen and check to make sure the oven was off and then ran back out. Are they very quick reviews always? I mean, he, so, so what he's doing is, so there is a dedicated referee who reviews all of the reviewable plays. It is the, it is at the discretion of the head referee to choose to go to video or not. So when he does choose to go to video, he is talking with the video assistant referee, and he's using the monitor as a reference. Well, I was so very, he, go ahead. I was very impressed by the speed at which it occurred, uh, especially when you watch um, college basketball. You know, him haw around a monitor for ten minutes before making a basic out of bounds call, or college football or NFL, how slow they go. I mean. Right now, it's looking like you know soccer is going to be up there with tennis, where guy raises his racket and they, it's you know computerized model of showing the ball land in or out, and it's a matter of ten to fifteen seconds. So I, I think it's great for the game if it's going to move at that speed. Well, I I would caution some um, some patience there. I was watching another game today, uh, Atlanta United versus Vancouver. And what seemed like a pretty obvious red card decision took the referee, no joke, four minutes to decide. Well, and I think in the World Cup, you're probably going to see slower reviews out of, you know, the, yeah. so the, that is, the desire that is, to get it right. Yeah, that is the biggest downfall is that it can take more time than you would like. And soccer fans are used to. Essentially, injuries aside, 45 minutes of uninterrupted play. Right. We get spoiled in the fact that our sport does not have commercials during gameplay. And I love that. It's one of my favorite things about soccer is I can sit for 45 minutes and watch the game uninterrupted unless someone gets really badly hurt or some idiot fan decides to streak across the field. Which are both exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, but... Well, not the the player getting hurt, but the streaker. (laughs) So... 
so there, I mean, yeah, there, there are very much two sides to this. There are the people that think that it ruins the flow of the game, that it ruins the humanity of the game, that it takes away from the referee. And the other thing too, is one, the referee that did not use the VAR the two times that got the calls wrong both times is an older referee. And I oh. wonder like, does this, is this insulting to him that this is a new thing? And did he not go to VAR because he's confident Stop. enough and prideful enough to say, screw you, I know what I'm doing, even though he was 0 for 2 on those calls? My other favorite thing about it is the, the mime um, motion of them drawing a box around themselves <laughs> in the most grand fashion possible. It's like yeah, as if – Someone is on the International Space Station and they're needing to, uh, you know, draw a big box. It's not like it's like a little, like a four inch box. Like they they're draw... trying to think outside of it is what they're trying to do. Yeah, right. I mean, it's the whole arm's width. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what's interesting? I don't know if this will be the case in the World Cup, but in MLS, if as a player you motion that box to a referee, automatic yellow card. Wow. Even though I have seen a game this year where a guy did it right in the referee's face and he didn't, didn't even talk to him. He just turned around and walked away. And the announcers were like, that's not automatic. So the issue with the referees is, are they going to use it? Are they going to follow through with using it, but also punishing players who you know, motion for it? Um, it's going to be a steep learning curve. But I think in like three or four years when everyone's using it, it you know, the uh the shock or the change you know will will have have dissipated by the time the entire soccer community is roasting in cutter or qatar in 2022 yeah so we'll see um the, the once the premier league uses it that's when you know that it's here to stay right um mls uses it um France and Italy use it. Bundesliga, according to the article you shared, is meeting uh, in three days to discuss if they're going to use it next season. Um, but the Premier League has said not a chance. So once I think having it happen in leagues around the, the world and then having it happen in the World Cup uh, is a huge step. So we'll see. We'll see what the Premier League decides to do in, in the coming years. But yeah, I mean, it's a big change to the game for sure. I totally get people not liking it, um, but I think it's ridiculous, as the article says, that um, it's impossible, or say it's it's not possible that in 2018 everyone in the living room knows a few seconds after the play whether a referee has made a mistake and the referee doesn't. And yep. that's the point. And if you yep. can reduce game-changing mistakes from 1 in 3 to 1 in 19, I say it's totally worth it. Absolutely, especially if they can do it quickly and efficiently. And that is going to be the key to making it palatable for the purists, you know, um, that are watching. Is If they can get it efficient um, to where it's just a water break for the players, then I think they've accomplished that goal. But that might take a couple, you know – years so we'll see just a chance to grab an orange slice while the referee looks at the monitor here yeah <laughs> orange slice and some capri sun mm-hmm. uh hey i got a quick question for you hit me did uh did kevin harvick win he didn't uh, i actually had a different fun fact a non-nascar related fun fact that i thought about earlier in the show and then i really didn't want to jump back to what we were discussing but uh martin truex when he drives the bass pro shop car <laughs> 
All right. Well, what did you want to jump back to? Uh, so, um, UMBC had one previous victory against a Power Five conference team. Do you know which team that would be? Like in their history or in this season? In, in their history. Please be Kansas. Incorrect. It is uh, your Nebraska Cornhuskers. And, in fact, I was in attendance at did, that game. Did you say my Nebraska Cornhuskers? Well, you know, I just meant, like, the world's Nebraska Cornhuskers. <laughs> um, yep, December 23rd, 2008, I was up in Lincoln uh, because my grandparents live there. And um, so we went to the game a couple nights before Christmas, and uh, the Retrievers came in and took down Doc Sadler's Cornhuskers, and uh, that was about as low a point as you can get at that time because um, it was rough, real rough. No pun intended with the Retrievers. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, like, if you uh, – we, we were together. We couldn't hear the audio always because um, we were with a group of people, but apparently they didn't make reference to the fact that, that this victory over Virginia was their second and their first came a decade earlier at the Bob Devaney Sports Center in Lincoln. So there's my connection to the Retrievers. I was not shocked by their victory because I had seen it before. Well, Nebraska was not of Virginia's caliber, but nonetheless. Yeah. (laughs) You are full of very unique sports experiences, sir. I'm glad that you are uh, a major part of this show. Sometime I'll tell you about the time that um, Nebraska beat Michigan because um, Denard Robinson got injured, and then they brought in um, Russell Bellamy. Oh, God. But that's for another time, Cam. Yeah, maybe like 100 episodes down the line we can talk about that. Hey, have you welcomed uh, Chad Henney to town? <laughs> I have not, yes. Chad Henney, Chad Henney is now the backup quarterback for the Kansas City Chefs. And that might take over some cookies. <laughs> he's probably moving in down the street from us i just assume uh, i i think he can afford a much uh nicer home than than the one i live in or the one i live in yeah well one someday right someday yep, yep. all right well uh until next time uh watch a lot of sports we'll do see ya see ya